0: Hello and welcome to StarCast from Planet Waves. My name is Eric Francis Coppolino, the host of Planet Waves FM at planetwaves.fm and the author of the Planet Waves Horoscope at planetwaves.net. Thanks for tuning in. This is the edition for Thursday, the 9th of February, 2023. Uh, This accompanies a new 12-sign horoscope column as well as a new article detailing the astrology through the new moon in Pisces. At the moment, uh, the Sun is moving toward the end of its run through Pisces, and I'd like to cover a few of the points that turn up in what looks to me like a pivotal chart, um, which is Mercury conjunct Pluto, and that that takes place um, at about. Noon on the 10th on Friday the 10th Eastern Time. In case I forget to say so, all times in this podcast are in Eastern Time. Uh, so the aspect that I am looking at is Mercury conjunct Pluto. So uh, this is uh, th- this is special for a few different reasons. One, Mercury is just still coming out of its retrograde phase in Capricorn, and additionally, Pluto is at the very end of its 15-year run through Capricorn. Uh, That, of course, begins to change in late March when Pluto makes its first ingress into Aquarius, and then we are going to be living in a kind of a transitional time, lasting about 19 months till Pluto enters Aquarius to stay in November 2024. So we'll be in this kind of Pluto interregnum, and a lot of things are happening for the last time with Pluto in Capricorn. Uh, Additionally, we are also looking at a sign change of Saturn right around the same time. That has happened a little bit ahead of Pluto. It happens in early March, not late March, but two planets of, of this um, influence and power changing signs within weeks of one another is a big deal. The entire 2012 phenomenon, all of that buildup, essentially nothing, uh, w- w- was created by the sensation, not merely of the Mayan calendar, but of a lot of outer planet transits uh, happening at the same time. And so now we are in a similar situation, but the stakes are higher. All of the stuff that was predicted for 2012 actually came true one Venus cycle later, uh, eight years being proximate Venus cycle, uh, later in 2020 and so we're now living in a whole different world where it is up to us i think more than anything to be listening carefully to the cautionary signs to the warning signs um we missed them all for 2020 and by missed them all i don't mean that we we couldn't have predicted that something like what happened happened. A lot of people were saying there was going to be some kind of a 9-11-like event uh, around the time of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in early 2020. By missed it, I mean that everyone dropped their discernment. They dropped their meek ability to even question uh, what was happening or to uh notice what was going on in the world around them and then to make matters worse many people attacked anyone who so much as dared to ask a question who so much as dared to do something like propose that we really can take care of ourselves we don't need to uh, lock ourselves in our homes helplessly <clears throat> and uh, and and await the next government injection so we see the first of these, not first, but in our particular moment, um, th- things putting us on notice with the conjunction of uh, Mercury and Pluto. Now, this takes place on, on Friday, and, and the um, humorous thing about this conjunction is that when you look up what that degree of the zodiac is about in this system called the Sabian Symbols, channeled in the 1920s by Elsie Wheeler and the Reverend Mark. Edmund Jones, a very famous astrologer from that era, the degree symbol comes up a tea leaf reading. Yes, a tea leaf reading. So we are supposed to be reading and putting together the signs, except no one really does. Now, what is additionally interesting is that in this exact degree, at the exact time of this conjunction of Mercury and Pluto, is the asteroid karma. And so the tea leaves that we are reading are the tea leaves about the karma that we have created and continue to create. And, and karma is not just created by action. It's also created by inaction. It's created by negligence. It's created by, um, not heeding warnings. And so we at this stage are working with full information. Pluto conjunct Mercury is reminding us of this. Now, We can look at the front page of the New York Times not for any semblance of truth, but rather as a reminder of the chaos that the world keeps getting thrown into, um, whatever it might be this week. Um, Apparently, uh, it is true that there has been a very terrible earthquake in southern Turkey that has taken a great um, many lives. And undoubtedly, at least for us, that is going to move on to the next crisis and the next crisis. Of course, where these things strike, they tend to get themselves frozen in time. And and they don't get to leave that problem for a very long time and their lives are irrevocably changed, as have ours been irrevocably changed by the events of um, of, of 2020. So Pluto conjunct, excuse me, Mercury conjunct, Pluto. Now, th- this is um, a fairly dark aspect, and and um, I'm I'm not saying that it connotes anything I- imminently bad happening, but it, it is speaking loudly um, to the to the nature of events. So I'm going to cover a couple of more. Um, one one of them uh, that happened yesterday, and actually it, it w- will be in place until about 2060. So that makes Pluto in Aquarius, which goes till 2043 or so, uh, seem like a kind of media-range thing. Uh, and that is a conjunction of two ultra-slow movers uh, in early Capricorn. And they are Quar, an object out in the Kuiper Belt, which is ma- which made the news yesterday because it was discovered to have a very large ring pattern around it, like a ring structure, kind of like Saturn. But further out, and only one of them not... Uh, not a whole uh, complex or array of rings, and this is conjunct Folus. Folus is the second centaur. Neither of these are asteroids. They're they're much more powerful. They're kind of asteroid-sized, but more powerful than uh, ordinary planets in many different ways. And the combination of Folus and Quayar describes something that goes way back in time in the ancestral sense of the comment, They're both objects that have themes of ancestral matter. So, for example, folus goes all the way back to the affairs of our great-grandparents. So, folus is about the ancestors that we know. Quayar is about the ancestors that we don't know. Quayar takes us all the way back to the very beginning of the tribe, the origins of the tribe, the origin, origins of humanity, and also uh, your personal story about w- your creation myth and your family story of its creation myth. Since we're reading a general chart here, we're talking about all of society, all, all of the, uh, let's say, the, the great dysfunctional family that we are part of. And this is a um, another cautionary aspect. Folus, while it deals with ancestors, it also carries the quality of intoxication and the sudden release of something after several generations. So it's a little like the genie or djinn, Getting Ginny and pr- properly in, in singular, getting getting out of the bottle and uh, not being able to put back in, be put back in, and this would seem to be some kind of a, an, of an ancestral spirit that has moved all the way through the generations and is now erupting in our time. And the way to visualize this is something coming up out of the earth. Imagine it's kind of traveled for miles through the crust of the earth and then it and then it gets to the surface and then it spreads out very rapidly in lateral in lateral form in all directions, covering the ground. So this is the quality of folus conjunct quayar. It's very, very old stuff that we are dealing with and we're not Really good at processing things that happened last week, processing things that happened yesterday, going to therapy to deal with the issues that we know that we picked up from our our parents. And now we're experiencing these long consequences of uh, things that have just not been addressed, that have not been processed. So this is the situation that we find ourselves in. So now there's uh, there's two more aspects in in, in this um, in this pattern, and remember that in this talk I'm I'm touching on them only briefly. They're they're much better suited for elaboration in <clears throat> in writing, and th- and that is the article that has uh, gone out today. So the first of the these two that I think are working in a kind of a pair, uh, giving us some options for how to handle things are, on the one hand. There is a conjunction forming between Venus and Neptune, so this is really the perfect rose-colored glasses type of, of, of aspect where people are inclined to be very um, uh, idealistic and optimistic, and you know envisioning the the, the best possible thing. On the other hand the conjunction of the sun and saturn is also brewing so venus conjunct neptune happens on wednesday february 15th and the uh, the conjunction of the sun and saturn happens the next day so these are happening nearly simultaneously sun sun saturn happens first and then venus neptune um happens second if i've got that right uh, no venus neptune is the 15th sun Saturn is the 16th. Okay, so that's the, like, optimistic, unrealistic, um, starry-eyed vision followed by the reality principle of the Sun conjunct Saturn in Aquarius taking hold. And so um, it, it is not popular to be realistic. I mean, this is just a thing that has has just gone away in our times where you cannot really say to somebody, Hey, let's be realistic about this. What? Well, I'm trying, right? I'm doing, I'm, I'm here doing my best. So, um, but the, by far the dominant of these two aspects, when comparing sun conjunct Saturn in Aquarius and Venus conjunct Neptune in Pisces, uh, the reality principle is, um, is, is going to prevail, In this case, and I'm not saying that we um, shouldn't be looking forward to things, but I'm saying that the concept of hope and the concept of ungrounded positive expectations at the moment is a dangerous concept because it's distracting us from the things that we need to take care of. And and there are a lot of them. One, I think, uh, very salient factor in the Sun-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius is that this is another one of those aspects. We haven't seen one for a while, but this certainly is one that c- draws the contrast between the Sun, the individual, and Saturn-Aquarius, well, Aquarius, the group. And so much of the theme of uh, of the past three years has been what groups do to people and in particular what groups do to people who don't conform with what the group is saying this is the power of groupthink it is it is the the power of the majority over the minority it is also the power of the false consensus, not a true consensus that is based on actual values, but the false consensus that is based on kind of a rallying cry or um, some kind of a product rollout or the need to look like one is an acceptable person in various uh, different ways. And so once again, we're going to see this issue highlighted of the relationship between the individual, the son, and the group Aquarius with Saturn standing as a kind of a mediator between the two? Do you make decisions because you think it's the right thing to do? Do you accept something as true because you know in your heart and in your mind that that it's true? Or are you willing to just simply do what you're told and believe what you're told because it's expedient and convenient at the moment? Question mark. Big one. Bright red, glowing, flashing. All right. Thank you for listening. Um, Planet Waves FM is off this week. Uh, I will have a Substack post on Friday, but there'll be no program. Um, As you can hear, um, my voice needs a little rest. And I will be uh, giving it one the moment that I click stop on this recording. Thank you for listening. Signing off from Kingston at 3.59 on Feb 9. I'm Eric Francis. Bye for now.